The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that believes the Red Sox should have to run in the Boston Marathon before they play the 11 a.m. Patriots Day game. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And let's see a real feat of athleticism. Hey, kid, what do you say? More impressive to run it before or to run it after? Uh, probably run it before and then still play the game. Yeah, that seems like a more... That, in terms of what would create a more interesting baseball game, it is probably an entire team that has just run a marathon. Both um, of them. So I, I, agree, I agree with you on that. Yes, as we record this on Monday morning, we are just a couple hours from first pitch of the day of the week. It will be Shohei Otani versus Brian Bayo. We will not be talking about that game because uh, it'll be you know be happening as you're hopefully listening to this podcast. But we did want to talk a little bit about the concept of an 11 a.m. local time Major League Baseball game, which is something that I guess we only get once a year. The times, the start times for MLB games are pretty standard, right? You have a lot of 105, one o'clock, one ten local starts. You'll have a 130, maybe a 135. You very rarely will have anything between that and four. Opening day can be a three in the afternoon, but usually you'll have a a one, a four, a seven, Mm -hmm. and then like an eight if you're on Sunday Night Baseball. And that's pretty much it. Some teams are 05, some are 10, some are 07, but for the most part, it's pretty standard. The one exception to this is the 11 a.m., Patriots Day game in Boston that they play every year, the morning, yes, the morning of the marathon. And it is just bizarre because 11 a.m. ET does not feel like a time you should be playing a Major League Baseball game. And this year it is accentuated because the Angels as a West Coast team tweeted out, reminder, tomorrow's game starts at 11.10 Pacific. You Sorry, mean Eastern? 810. Yeah. 810 Pacific. <laughs> yeah. 810. We're, we're really getting some breakfast baseball uh, over there in Orange County. And, you know, it's not completely, as, as we know, as we follow other levels of, of baseball, college baseball starting games before noon is not all that crazy. Although normally that is in an effort to get a double header in or a triple header in. Or, you know, if you're at a tournament like this, it's that, you know, showcase days where it's like we're starting at 8 a.m. because we only have one field and we need to get as many games in as possible. This is not that. And to your point, for Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball players, we always talk about routine. We always talk about the fact that, you know, we know for 7 o'clock games, when are guys getting to the ballpark? Two? One? Right? So for 11 o'clock games, this would be my first question, and I would love to just find out the answer to this. When do you think the players are arriving for the 11 o'clock game? Eight. 8 a.m. You think just you think eight? You think not any earlier than that? And yeah. I don't know what the BP uh, game plan is for this too, especially because weather. I assume it'll be pretty chilly. There's no way they're doing BP, but yeah, I have to imagine it's not quite as early. Uh, but the, but we also know because we've talked to people who've played in this game that this is is very different and uh, can sometimes not go as well as you could hope. Friend of the show, Lucas Giolito started this game for the White Sox in 2021. And Lucas, I would describe Jordan, not to out our friend, as not a morning person, is a takeaway from Mr. Sleepyhead Giolito. And things did not go well that afternoon for Lucas. No. Uh, that morning, <laughs> that he, morning. Did, he didn't even he didn't even make it to the afternoon because he only threw one inning and it was uh, he allowed eight runs, a uh, couple homers, couple walks, no strikeouts. And to your point, um, you know, normally the not a morning person should not affect major leaguers. But in this case, it was like, sorry, 
you got to do it. It was by far his worst start of the year. If you take out that start, he his his final season numbers would look a lot better <laughs> than they ended up doing. He still had a good season. But I just remember watching that and just being like, this is clearly not normal, Lucas. And this year we have Otani doing it, is pitching yes. for the Angels in this game. Fascinated to see if he is a morning person or not. Mm-hmm. We will find out. This is a definitive answer. Are your favorite baseball players morning people? We and just, the, the future will show us. Yes, and just to really get a sense for how poorly this outing went for Lucas, your mean Mercedes and Danny Mendick had to pitch by the end of this one. So that <laughs> really should sum up uh, how 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 poor that outing went. But Lucas, it's okay. Uh, I have to say, he doesn't have to get that assignment again anytime soon. As goofy as this is, I love it. I I like it when baseball players have to adapt to uncomfortable situations. I think we should have an 11 p.m. game every mm. once in a while. I think we should have like a 7 a.m. game. I think anything to make these guys push them out of their element for my entertainment value, I'm all in. Yeah, and then last thing to mention for this is Sox going for the mop. After getting mopped by the Rays last week, Boston has a rare opportunity for the Friday through Monday Marathon Monday mop. Uh, so we'll see if they can get that done against Otani in Brian Bayo's season debut, which I'm also very much looking forward to. Mop day, mop day baseball. It's marathon mop day. There you exactly. go. That's the joke. Exactly. Uh, we are going to run through the weekend that was. It is Monday morning here on Baseball Barbacast, which means most of the series are done and dusted, except for the Red Sox Angels, who, as Jordan mentioned, uh, the Red Sox have taken all three of those games so far. Other sweeps from the weekend. The Mariners over the Rockies at home. Holy Luis Castillo. Jeepus Krebus. The Braves taking care of business against the lowly Royals. I like it when a good team just bludgeons a bad team and it's like, oh, there's a talent gap. Speaking of that, the Mets taking the sweep in Oakland. The A's are an embarrassment. We'll get to that a little bit later. And the Tigers with a two-game sweep over the Giants, including a Nick Maton walk-off grand slam. Let's go. Three splits for four-game sets. Pirates, Cardinals. Pirates definitely don't suck, which feels noteworthy. Phillies, Reds. Both of these teams, unfortunately, might stink. Uh, Feeling iffy about the Phillies after they gave up 13 runs in a 13-0 drubbing loss on Saturday. And then the Twins-Yankees split. Garrett Cole with a complete game shutout to even that series up on Sunday. We'll get to that as well. The other series, Miami taking two out of three over the Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen against Sandy Alcantara on the Sunday game. Or the Saturday game? The Saturday game. Oh, Sunday. Sunday the Sunday was, game. Uh, that was the one game the D-backs won as they sit in first place on April 17th. Definitely matters. Uh, Brewers taking three out of four in San Diego, which is part of why the Diamondbacks are in first place. Devin Williams buzzer beater. We'll get to that. Orioles two out of three over the White Sox with a nice comeback win on Sunday. The Guardians two out of three over the Nationals. I watched a combined total of negative five minutes of that series. Could tell you literally nothing about it. We will not get to that one. The Rays finally losing some baseball games, leaving the country to do so as the Blue Jays took two out of three against the previously undefeated Rays. Rangers two out of three over the Astros in Houston in the battle for Texas. Hashtag take it back. And the Bellinger led Cubs winning a series in L.A. at Dodger Stadium. And they were two feet away from a sweep. David Peralta had a walk-off single Sneak through the right side on the Saturday game with the Dodgers down 1-0, two outs in the ninth. So this really could have been quite a showing for the Cubbies. Jordan, that is what happened in the world of baseball. Where would you like to begin? Uh, just so you know, Josh Bell homered. That's all you need to know about the Cleveland uh, versus Washington series. Revenge bomb. Yes, so congrats to him and Jose Ramirez getting themselves off the Why Haven't You Homered Yet leaderboard. But let's begin with Tampa. Uh, They are still undefeated in the U.S. of A., but they did lose their first couple in Toronto. Toronto and Tampa, always a fun series. And the the Jays' home crowd clearly, you know, riding the momentum of that first series. And they just look great. 
and they they finally hit hit the ball a little bit more than the Rays did. I mean, the Rays are still still crushing it. But yeah, I mean, the Rays finally lost, and we can we can move past ending at at thirteen and zero, which appears appears to be the the stopping point for these record starts. Uh, Fourteen just seems uh, you know totally impossible. But I mean, are, do we come out of the series worried about Tampa? Obviously not. I will see them in Cincinnati this week with my own two eyes, and I'm looking forward to that. I was kind of hoping they would get swept, to be honest with you, because I just think that would be funnier. And what did it come down to? It came down to pitching injuries. So they had to start, what, Calvin Fauché in the Saturday game. And that didn't that went about as well as you could have ever hoped, but they still lost. And then the bats just went a little bit quiet. Jose Barrios in the Friday game, Jordan. Jose Barrios, five innings, one run. Four hits, six Ks, no walks. He showed up. And Drew Rasmussen, uh, who had been dominant until then, had a Jose Barrios-esque outing, allowing five, walking four, striking out four. And yeah, that was that was huge. And and Barrios is going to be one of the most important parts of the Jays season. And it was nice to see him finally have a, a just a regular good outing, which should be not something we are celebrating so greatly for someone who was basically the king of five innings, one run <laughs> for the previous six years before he sucked last year. But it is progress nonetheless. One thing of worry is that Alec Manoa has looked pretty shaky in the early going for the Blue Jays, got lit up in the Sunday game against Tampa. Just something to keep an eye on. The Rays return to America to face another competitive team, the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, I will be there probably tonight and tomorrow. We will see what they look like. I believe it's Jalen Beeks. <laughs> For those of you who are at our live show, I will get to see if Jalen, what was it? Is Jalen Beeks going to be an all-star? So I will find out tonight as he takes on Hunter Green. Uh, so the race finally lost, so we can we can stop starting every show with them. Um, you mentioned the Braves uh, kind of dominating Kansas City. I did not watch a ton of that series uh, because I kind of assumed the outcome that ended up being the case. But what do you uh, what do you got on that series? Well, I'm just looking at the Braves. It's so impressive, right? Arcia, who started the year hot, is on the IL. Michael Harris, who was the rookie of the year last year, is on the IL. Travis Darno, one of the best catchers in baseball. On the IL. Max Freed, their ace, on the IL. And they're 12 and 4. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Eddie Rosario still s- probably stinks. He has a 53 OPS plus. Marcelo Zuna, why is he Horrible. still around? Absolutely. Why is he still here? He horrific is three player. for 40. Three for 40. What do you say? Two homers, though. So he has one single. And two homers <laughs> in 40 at-bats. Uh, no, his he's, OPS he's his OPS is lower than uh, Sam Hilliard's OBP. There you go. There's a little there's a little random nugget for you. He sucks. Absolutely sucks. And, like, the pitching has been merely fine. Strider's been good and not dominant. Kyle Wright has been meh. And yet, it literally does not matter because this team is incredible. The bullpen is sneaky amazing with reclamation candidates Kirby Yates and Nick Anderson both shoving enough so far in the early going. Like I, I have Michael Tonkin has looked good for them. Oh, Augie lost hero, Michael Tonkin. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah, I agree that the pitching, I mean, again, when your roster is this deep and you have this many star players, like, yeah, sure. I, they have those injuries. But Sean Murphy just had his kind of coming out party over the last week or so. He has been amazing, and he had such a cold start. And a great reminder of how quickly you can kind of turn your season around with three or four big games because now he's got an OPS over 1,000. Of course, Olsen's been amazing. And then Acuna. I mean, they got three guys, Murphy, Olsen, and Acuna with, uh, you know, over 1,000 OPS. So, no, I'm with you. They, it's it's pretty pretty straightforward there. I'm I'm so impressed. Uh, and, and, yeah, presumably once they get healthy, you know, the shortstop thing will be interesting. Arcia, we talked about earlier in the season how it's like, no, tr- trust the Braves. They know what they're doing. Having this guy play over Grissom, now they don't have a choice. He's hurt, so we'll see uh, what Grissom can do now that he comes up. But I also don't think there's that much pressure on him to really figure it out. I think they're going to be good no matter what. The Phillies, the Marlins, and the Mets can do anything they want. But the Braves are the class of the NL East until they're not. Where do you want to go next? I think let's talk about uh, Milwaukee and San Diego. 
I, I mean, there was a lot of really good moments in the series, really impressive showing, you know, we had uh, Minnesota versus New York, who seem to be two of the you know, best teams in the American League showing off. And, and I, I feel like San Diego and, and Milwaukee so far, I know San Diego's record is not necessarily where they'd like it to be. But considering the Brewers' record and considering the Padres' talent, maybe two of the best teams in the National League. And I just wanted to zoom into the very, very, very end of the series. Uh, the Sunday game was fantastic. one nothing. Wade Miley was inexplicably amazing. I, how inexplicable is it? Like, Wade Miley has been solid now for so many years in a row. But this was like a – this was the most dominant I've seen Wade Miley be. It was not that he was just kind of getting through a quality start like he has many times. Like, he was carving them up. And 8Ks, no walks. 8Ks, no walks. And, and he – is certainly the kind of guy that they know how to get the most of in Milwaukee. So he's really impressive. But I want to zoom into literally the last pitch, the last inning, which was, you know, they're clinging on to this one run lead the whole game. They go to Devin Williams for the, for the, you know, for the save. And Devin Williams is amazing. He's one of the best relievers in the world. But the command was all over the place. And he's getting up there in pitch count. And Trent Christian comes up trying to, you know, extend the game, trying to give the Padres the win or the lead or whatever. And Devin Williams, I believe it was a 3-2 count with the bases loaded, I think, um, or at least two guys on. And he strikes him out looking, or at least kind of like an awkward check swing. What was most notable about this, we've talked so much about the pitch clock and how it would impact late game situations. And what this was, I was watching the clock so stressfully because those last few pitches against Grisham, he was down to the last second. And what it made me think about is that, first of all, it's just a totally unique feeling in baseball to watch, to be like, oh my God, he has to get this pitch off. And I thought about if he didn't get the pitch off and if he walked Grisham on a pitch timer violation, how everyone would be losing their mind that that was the dumbest thing of all time, which I mostly agree with. At the same time, it created this extra tension that was like even more exciting when he did deliver the pitch at the last second and got out of it. Because I have to imagine in that spot, yes, the pitcher is making sure because he's the one, if the batter's in the box and he's ready, he knows the pressure is on the pitcher to deliver it. But Trent Grisham also knows what the clock is at, right? And he's also thinking like, oh my God, he has to deliver it. And you have to imagine that if you're a hitter in that situation, sure, you're ready, you're locked in, but you're also thinking like, oh my God, this guy might not pitch the ball and I might just get to go to first base anyway. And instead you're still facing Devin Williams and you could tell Grisham was kind of locked up on that last pitch. It was just a very unique, like the, the line between, Oh wait, this is actually really fucking cool. And this is almost going to be one of the moments that makes everyone hit the, hate the pitch clock was, was very interesting. I'm happy it ended the way it did because the consternation, if the game had ended or been affected by that would have just, is an exhausting discourse that I'm out on. Uh, Juan Soto Ofer in this series. He is now hitting, I believe, 179 batting average. He's still getting on base an absolute ton because he's Juan Soto. But he has looked garbage so far this season. Yeah, and I uh, Ken Rosenthal just wrote a little bit about him um, today, just talking about where he's going to bat in the order when Tatis comes back later this week. That's, of course, happening. Um, by the way, since you uh, talked about Tatis's three-homer game, he homered three more times over the weekend, I believe. Uh, and so he will be back with the Padres. But yeah, it seems like Soto, he talked a little bit about how he doesn't like batting second, but he knows he's going to bat second because it makes sense in this lineup. Where is he going to see more pitches? He's obviously content taking as many pitches as anyone. I don't know. I, I really don't know what to make of this. And I, part of me feels like, oh, well, when Tatis comes back, then he'll get, but, but it's like, I don't know. He, he's already, <laughs> he already has Machado and Bogart. It's like, it's already more protection than most other of the best players in the game are going to have. So I'm not really sure what, what really to see here. He's had some moments, some big homers where it's like, oh, there it is. He found it. And then just a lot of watching stuff, a lot of passivity, which works and his patience. I don't know what to make of him. But that's the thing with Soto is that he has been awful and he's looked awful. He's still an above average hitter because he's leading the league in walks. And that is part of the wonder of Juan Soto is that the floor is so high. Even the worst version of Juan Soto is still a pretty solid player. Now, the defense in the outfield is, but I have confidence that he'll be able to get it going. Let's go out to Seattle, Jordan, where your Mariners mm. t 
took it to the Stinky Rockies, taking the last one on Sunday from a Luis Castillo gem and a 1-0 win, channeling his inner Felix. Yes, perfect through six. Now, Road Rockies, I mean, that's Road Rockies plus Luis Castillo usually should come to some sort of dominant outing, whether it should be perfect through six, whatever. Uh, He was fantastic. He has been fantastic every time out. And uh, we'll talk about, can you maybe compare him with Garrett Cole in a second? But I mean, I've talked about it so much since they traded for him, but the the degree to which he he takes them out, his, his mound presence is so unique and so fun to watch. That it is, he is as as must watch as as any pitcher that that I can remember the, the Mariners having certainly since Felix and they have all these other talented young pitchers and his stuff is amazing on its own. But he's having so much fun out there, but in a in a very very controlled, very confident, and the 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 fist pump that he kind of gives after every inning, after every strikeout that ends an inning. And when he gets a great defensive play behind him, it's just, just to remind you of how, I mean, yeah, you know, La Piedra, that's the nickname for a reason. He is he is the rock and now the the kind of the, the heart and soul of, of this team in a lot of ways, which is amazing, right? You know, he's only been there since the deadline, but he really is the one that is just giving the most amount of confidence to this entire organization. It was great that he pitched the finale of the series to kind of close out the sweep and uh, Mariners back on track. They look pretty good. He's like the best, 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 best version of a great men's league pitcher. Is how I describe it, right? He, in the same way that like a, you know, a 45-year-old former college player can go out and dominate against regular humans, you know, in the, in Central Park, like Shlomo Lippitt style, the way that Castillo sequences guys, it feels like he's a level above them, right? Like the way he's generating weak contact and the pacing and the sequencing, all that stuff, he's just feels like he's in a different league. He's yeah. not blowing guys away in the same way that Garrett Cole is. He's certainly yeah. doing it a lot. But if you look at like mm-hmm. the aces in baseball, he's not striking out that many. That's hitters true. The strikeouts are guys. not there as much. That's true. He's definitely he's definitely looking for weak contact more often, which um, is great because he can work deeper in the games. Yeah, and he's still throwing pretty damn hard. Like it's more just because you know he's using the the sinker more, um, you know, for weak contact than he is for. For strikeouts, but he's he's got it all in the changeup. It's just he's he's fantastic, and I I just can't I cannot talk enough about how 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 happy he makes me as a Mariners fan. The fact that he'll be around for a long time, and and yeah, he's he's really really changed the tone and makes makes the you know losing Robbie Ray and some of the early struggles of guys like Kirby who've been who've been good, but maybe not taking that next step. It's like who cares? Luis Castillo's pitching in at least a couple days, so. We are feeling good about that. But yeah, the Rockies, like that, they, that's what they should do. They, they are obviously a much better team than the Rockies. They should take care of business at home. Now's when the real test is coming because they got Milwaukee coming to town for a bizarre series. Can't remember the last time the Brewers <laughs> were in Seattle and then St. Louis. So this will be a, a nice little stretch for the Mariners to face a little bit. Like tonight is Flexin versus Burns. So it's like that'll be a little bit more of a now the offense is. I know Burns hasn't been very good, but that's where the offense is going to have to show up a little bit if they're going to win that one. The other nasty pitching performance from Sunday, Garrett Cole, complete game shutout against the Minnesota Twins. The way that I consumed this one, Jordan. So I played in some softball yesterday in New York City. And, you know, after a softball game, what do you do? You, what do you, you do? Go, you go get beers. You go get some beers. Yeah. So we went over to the local watering hole, got some beers. And the old Yanks are on the, the television screen. And it says eighth inning down there on the score bug. But who's in the game? Garrett Cole? That like, that's allowed? Right. What? Garrett Cole's in the game in the eighth? Oh, he gets through the eighth. And then, you know, you're you're drinking those beers. You just played a, a doubleheader over at East River Park. And it's like, hmm, is he going to come out for the ninth? The buzz is percolating around the around the pub. And there he is, Garrett Cole. Back out for the ninth to complete the complete game. Shut out nine innings, two hits, one walk, 10 punch outs against a Twins team that had been hitting quite well. A Twins team that bludgeoned the Yankees in the opener, scoring, I believe, nine runs in the first inning. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive showing. A lot has been made of Garrett Cole and how he does not have a Cy Young. 
And then he said he didn't really care about it as long as the team won. That's not how he's pitching. Seems like he might want it. Yeah. Uh, two things on this. First of all, oh, so that's the difference between Garrett Cole and Johnny Brito. Okay, got it. Nice. Sorry. Good. Glad we clarified that. It's nine runs worth. <laughs> nine runs and, and nine innings, <laughs> we should say. Um, I would also say there was one moment in this game. I, I caught a good amount of it. Uh, the one moment in this game that, to me, kind of summed up the season that Garrett Cole is having was an absolute moonshot off the bat of Trevor Larnick, who, I mean, it was hit hard. But it fell right before the wall and Cole turned around and he started laughing because that ball went over the fence, I mean, literally 30 times last year. But like specifically that kind of batted ball went over the fence, I want to say at least 10, 12, 15 times last year when he allowed more home runs than I believe any other pitcher or at least definitely top three uh, in, in baseball and home runs allowed last year. And this year, do four starts, he is not allowed a single long ball. And wow. that is something that is is amazing. <laughs> Honestly, the last pitch of the game, I believe, was also uh, a, a Correa fly out to the warning track. But seeing those balls not go into the short porch is a, is kind of telling you, not that not that Garrett Cole it hasn't looked amazing, but like it's going a little bit more his way in the way that last year, when he was still awesome, he led the league in strikeouts last year. But those homers just always seem to get over the fence. And maybe it's just luck so far. Maybe the ball is less juiced. Maybe they'll start going over. But so far, he's had moments like that where he's turned around. And so many times before, he's like, God damn it. I'm pitching so well. And this stupid pop-up went over the fence. And instead, he was like, we're good. I'm chilling. Second complete game of the season joining Sandy Alcantara. I don't imagine we'll see too many more of those. So you got to appreciate them when they come. I, as a neutral, am all in on the Garrett Cole total dominant season. In 30 years, I want to look back at his baseball reference page on my Google Glass and say, this guy had a Cy Young, right? Garrett Cole should have a Cy Young. He is that good. He means that much to this generation of pitching. He should retire with one. This feels like the year. I hope he throws a complete game shutout every start. I agree. I agree. He is like very quietly. We, we talked on our live show about like, favorite Yankees and like he should not be my favorite Yankee and yet I cannot help but appreciate him and, and watching him he is he is fantastic so shouts out to him and yeah I mean him and Luis Castillo are like they're leading all pitchers in F4 they've both made four amazing starts neither of them has allowed a home run uh so yeah those are those are the guys and I don't know if you noticed but that Jacob deGrom guy is also in the AL now uh, so that will be something that Garrett Cole not has worried. to deal with. But you uh, can't yeah. win the Cy Young with 106 innings, Jordan. Yeah, well, he's he's pitching so far. So we will see about that. Uh, anything else from the weekend that we wanted to hit uh, before we we take a break? Uh, how about let, let's let's do this one because uh, Garrett Cole uh, and and Justin Verlander was the other one. I know he's you know swapped out, so he's not in the AL anymore. So he's not competing with him. But. The Houston Astros, Jake, uh, we, we want to take some time on Mondays to kind of talk about the Sunday night baseball game. I didn't watch a ton of this one, although once again, Jordan Alvarez managed to come up with the bases loaded. We got we to gotta stop letting that happen. But the Rangers taking this one, Bochi versus Dusty Baker. Fun little managerial matchup that we'll have a bunch of times this season. And the Rangers taking this one rather uh, easily uh, behind a very strong Andrew Heaney effort. And the Astros so far are, are off to kind of a slow start. We did not include them in our panic button discussion on Friday. But when you look at the certainly the standings, but also just some of the performances that they've had so far, I don't know. I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm worried, um, but they're, they're definitely off to a, a slit is an undeniably slow start and losing a home series to the Rangers, even with the Rangers improved roster, is not something you would have bet on coming into this season at this stage. Jose Abreu has sucked. That's a big part of it. He is really underwhelmed and they don't have a designated hitter. They've been giving those at bats to like David Hensley and Corey Jolks, who's been fine, but the offense has just kind of underwhelmed. Bregman hasn't been as good as you would have hoped. Altuve has started the year on the IL, as has Michael Brantley. I think they will, by May, this lineup will be humming and purring and will not have an OPS plus under 100. The pitching side has been just as good as you really could have expected, except for Luis Garcia, who struggled. But Framber Valdez has been outstanding. 
Hunter Brown has been oh, yeah. just superb oh, to start yeah. the year. And so, like, you know, I am not really at all worried about Houston. Yeah. Like, I I don't say- e- I'm not even thinking about them in that way quite yet. Sure. I think that's fair. I mean, <laughs> the the bullpen, I think, has also been been worse than than you could hope. Like that that that's really where they've struggled. It was they just gave us like the best bullpen performance in postseason history. And that has not been the case. Uh, but to me, that will probably even out. The starting pitching has been good. And Jordan and Kyle Tucker are two of the best players in the league. So they, they're already working from a pretty, pretty safe ceiling. And, you know, but I think that missing Altuve plus Abreu being bad has put this lineup in kind of a shaky place. At the same time, they still have as good high-end talent as, as anyone else. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned there. Sunday night baseball game. I'll give this one a 5 out of 10. Scoreless through 6. Kept it tight. Reason to keep it on the Teleflugan. You have your breakout moment. Marcus Simeon, Grand Slam. In the 7th, you have a nice narrative. Dusty against Bochi. Okay, you have the Texas teams. This was nice, but the 9-1 to final score and no tension at the very end keeps it from the upper echelon of Sunday Night Baseball games. That's our wrap-up of the weekend that was. We're going to take a quick break while I blow my nose, and then we will be back to talk about the Oakland Unathletics. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. As two friends who have a collective 18 years of experience driving an IndyCar and one season of experience on Dancing with the Stars, we know what it takes to be successful on and off the track or dance floor. That's why each week we will give you a peek behind the front curtain and tell you what life is really like for professional IndyCar drivers and second-place finishers on dancing television shows. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. It is time for Bummer Time. We tend to keep things optimistic and positive on this podcast. But from time to time, something happens and we need to throw a big pail of cold water, a little dose of reality. And it's time to talk about the biggest bummer of them all, the Oakland Unathletics, who are now 3-13. and 13. Jordan, yeah, so. this is the worst team in baseball. It's not particularly close. Let's talk about them. W- what have been your takeaways about Oakland so far this year? So we knew that there were going to be between four and six objectively bad teams this year, I think. And so far, we have we, we like to talk about, oh, who, who really is the worst here we are a few weeks into the season. I don't even really think it's particularly close. I think this team is uh, one of the worst teams I've seen in a long time. It hurts my soul to say it because, honestly, there are some players that are – like, when you look at their offensive numbers, too, some of the other worst teams in the league, right, like the Royals and the Tigers, certainly recently, like the worst teams in the league – their hitting has been so abysmal that it's like, I cannot believe that these are the players that they're trying to send out there against the best pitchers in the world. Weirdly, that's, in this case, not true. And what this is feeling more like is the worst teams in college baseball where the pitching is abysmal and the fundamentals are abysmal and they just are bad at playing the sport. And this is, this is oh, listen, Major League Baseball is really hard. These are still the best players in the world. We all know that. All those caveats are true. But from what we've seen, so many examples of them being the worst. And it sucks and we feel horrible for the fans. There's obviously something that the, that the ownership and the front office has, ownership has decided this is what we want to do because we're either trying to tank our way out of the city or tank our way back into contention by drafting well, which they haven't done recently anyway. It's just depressing. And I know what you've seen so far. It seems like you're a baseball coach. <laughs> Does this look like a, a team that is, um, uh, I guess we're not going to blame Mark Kotze, but do they look well coached to you? They are finding ways to lose. They are finding ways to lose. Yesterday against the Mets, great example of this. They're up one in the ninth. Oh, game-tying home run to Pete Alonso. Top of the 10th, second and third, two outs. They haven't allowed a run. The Manford man sitting there at third with two down. 
Wild pitch. Run scores. Mets take the lead. Bottom half. First and second. Nobody on. And they bunt. Guess what? That fails. Lead runner out. First and second. One out. Oh, wild pitch for them. A dash of good fortune. And then two weak ground outs. Run does not score. And they lose. This team is so bad. The pitching is so bad. They have a starter ERA, Jordan, of 971. Okay. Yeah. That is more runs than innings. They have allowed more runs than innings, the starters have. Okay. That's not good. That's not good. That's as a, bad. As and, a team, yeah. And like when you look at a team, right? It's important to remember that, like, the defensive numbers, they haven't really actualized yet. It's hard to tell defensive numbers. But the early defensive numbers for this team are dreadful. Dreadful. And that's another big part of this. Like, Brett Rooker, who's been incredible at the plate, horrible in the outfield. Aledmus Diaz, terrible in the infield. Shea Langoliers, not looking so great behind the plate. So far, it's, it's, ah, it's really bad. It's bleak, man. It's, and it's hard, like, and at least Langoliers has been hitting, but again, like the pitching's just, their team ERA, I mean, you mentioned the starters, right? More runs than innings, but team ERA is 7.60. And the next worst is 5.87. That's the Tigers. Their FIP is 674. It's not even like you just mentioned the defense. Like they're, 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 I think they're 29th in strikeout rate. They are last. They're allowing the most walks um, of any team. They're allowing the most homers of any team. Like it is, it is potentially one of the worst uh, pitching staffs we've seen assembled. And uh, that is just a that's a fast way to, to to a tank job, man. It's not even close. So it's really depressing. And I hope that I hope that you know some of those hitters. Maybe Rooker does just have an awesome season, and and you still hope the Langoliers can look like you know offensively a franchise catcher, but. It is a tough watch, and I I don't I don't even really know what what to say to Ace fans right now, and I, I just I just wish them I, I I wish that they can somehow get their message through, and I know the owners are just so so disconnected at this point, but I don't know where this is heading, but it makes me sad. So um, we'll have to write a, a book. Will be called Boys of Bummer. Nice. And the claim, if someone wants to write, if someone wants to watch every game of the A's this season and write a book called Boys of Bummer, I will read it <laughs> because I will not be watching otherwise. Brent Rooker, third in baseball and barrel rate. Amazing. Ra- raise the banner, damn it. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let us move on um, to an email. Uh, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B A R B cast. This email comes from Reed. Reed says, Jake and Jordan, your talk about the Masters green jacket and some potential similarly wearable items in baseball got me thinking. As both a baseball and a fairly new cricket fan, the Indian Premier League has both a purple cap for most wickets taken for a bowler and an orange cap most runs scored by a batter, which players actually wear in games and even sometimes the hats switch between players mid-game, which I find hilarious. If MLB did this, what color hats would you choose and for which stat leaders? Strikeouts and home runs seem like the most obvious choice, but I can imagine other funny possibilities. That's funny because in my head, I was thinking about the hitters and the batters with the most strikeouts also having wearing like the strikeout dunce cap of shame. <laughs> it's like you've uh, you've whiffed too many times, but I assume he is referring to the pitcher. So great email read. Really, really appreciate it. What 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 do you what comes to mind for you? So the first thing I want to mention is that cycling, a sport that I am obsessed with, has this. Okay, so the world champion from the previous season has a special jersey mm-hmm. that they wear. So that when you are looking at the cycling race from up above, you can spot them, right? The yellow jersey in the Tour de France, which I'm sure even you, Jordan, have heard of the yellow jersey. That indicates the leader, active leader of the race. Individual nations have their own national championship jerseys. So if you're watching a race and it's like, oh, that's a cool little red and green flag. Oh, that's the champion of Portugal. So you have a sense for while you're watching the race, who the people are. I would love this. Love this in the big leagues. I think colored helmets Mm. are perfect for this, for hitters. 
if you made Aaron Judge wear anything but a Yankees helmet, every Yankees fan would just throw a fit, but it would be very funny. I think this is such a cool idea and a great way for fans to be like, why is that guy wearing a different color helmet? Oh, because of this. We have this in other sports. Uh, the libero in volleyball. That's what I was going to bring up. Yep. Wears a different color uniform. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, I think having a little, it can even be like a band that goes around their arm right. that you can see. Just something visual to indicate a particularly special player. Judge is a bad example because he's seven feet tall. But like if you go to a game and you're a total novice, you don't know who's the best player. Exactly. You know? And so it, it would be helpful to have something visual. For totally. And that also makes me think that you should do it for every team's whatever, war leader, whatever. And I know that those, that's not what we're talking in game. But like some, something that, that doesn't, isn't just like one guy that's leading the whole league in home runs. Although that would work too. You could have a special thing that's just for that. But so that to your point, right? When you, you aren't guaranteed to figure out who the best player is if you tune into one game and you're a casual fan and you've never watched that team before. And so if you knew like, oh, like that's the best player right now. And then also leaves some, some possibilities for it. That are, are hilarious. And, you know, we, we also have almost a version of this in post-game, right? Oh, the, who is the player of the game? We give them a belt. We give them a, you know, a cowboy hat after the game. We're not talking about home run celebrations. And so if you can have some sort of designation during the game, whether it is an armband, whether it is a different color hat, whether it is, I think we need to be more than just a patch. I know they're doing like the patches for the MLB debuts. It would need to be you a little to be bit more, see it. more flagrant than that. Um, right. Or like, like, uh, like a vest, like a neon vest, like you're, you're making sure that cars can see you when you're, when or, you're running in the dark or like how the quarterback wears a different color shirt during spring football practice. Oh yes. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So yeah. So as for the specific statistics, is there any other one that you think could be fun to designate? So I think it should be a gold helmet. I'm saying gold helmet because it is the color that I don't think any team has as a helmet. Right. And not, can in, go, the, not in the big leagues, not in the big leagues and can kind of go with all the different uniform combinations. We see this in the first series of the year where the World Series champion has all the gold stuff. I think a gold helmet. OK. And I would do home run leader, mm-hmm. batting average leader, mm-hmm. stolen base leader. Mm-hmm. OK. And then probably probably walk leader. <laughs> I think walk leader. And then <laughs> I would want a fifth one. Yeah. I don't have to think about what it is. But like you can't really do like OPS plus like you can't. Do right. More. No, I know. it. And also early in the season, there are a lot of guys tied for these categories. And so you, I would maybe, do yeah. highest average exit velocity leader. So like the guy who's just roping the ball, right. you know, and you have all those guys in the AL and you have all those guys in the NL and you, it's only position players. I don't think you do pitchers at all because mm-hmm. the pitcher's the pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. You have five in the AL, five in the NL, 10 guys at a time. Chances are you're going to run into one of them if you go to a game, right? Yeah. Decent. Like every couple of weeks, maybe if you go to a game, you'll see one of these guys. Yeah. And I think it'd be cool. Now then, okay. So what if you have multiple people atop a category, multiple gold helmets, doesn't matter. Ties are fine. You don't implement this until I would say the end of April. Would be my recommendation. Yeah, you need you would need to 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 give some time, and then at the start of May or start of June, <clears throat> that you you have a official kind of presenting. Like, all right, here we go. That's the guy. He's the. It's like the King of the Hill style. It's like, all right, right. who's gonna who's gonna take the helmet from that guy? Now, what if a guy is leading multiple categories? So, like, mm. you know, he has to wear multiple ahead. helmets. Two helmets. You stack them, stack them, baby. Because <laughs> then you're thinking about it as like a as like a handicap, right? That guy's so good. Let's make him bat with multiple helmets. Multiple helmets. I like that. Great idea. Thank you. This Reed. is I see no reason why not. Thank you, Reed. Yeah. Easy, 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 easy idea. Uh, we will pass that along to the higher ups, who which we obviously are very connected with. All right, we are going to wrap up here with a couple quick news and notes. Uh, a nice little extension for Mr. Logan Webb, five years, 90 million. These are the kinds of extensions where I'm just like, yep, nice. Sounds good. Good for everybody. <laughs> good for everybody. Giants, they're not very good. But Logan Webb is very good and exactly the kind of pitcher I would love to kind of lock in right at that price. 
makes sense. Doesn't feel like he's giving up too much in the future. All for it. Congrats to Logan Webb on the Sacramento Kings winning the first game of their series. Oh, I know yes. Logan Webb is a diehard light the beam guy. That's true. That's wow. Look at look, what a weekend for Logan Webb. $90 million extension and the Kings win their first postseason game in, I believe, 17 years. So very cool for him. And uh, and yeah, that is that is definitely a, a no brainer. And also another reminder of like Giants were still left with all this money to spend. And they're like, well, we got Logan Webb. Might as well just extend that guy instead of just keep hoping that these big free agents are going to side with us. So that one is a no-brainer. A couple other uh, interesting uh, moves that we wanted to see. So Mets finally called Brett Beatty back up. He was amazing in AAA. We'll see with that one. I, I I don't know. Do you have any any thoughts on this one? Like, it seems like Escobar is finally going to transition a little bit out of an everyday role. They're going to roll with Beatty. Alvarez hasn't exactly been tearing it up. Uh, since he replaced Narvaez, it seems like they're going to keep rolling with Nito as well. But Beatty does seem like he will probably impact. Look, I mean, the Mets are 10 and 6. It's not like they're in, in rough shape, but he will probably help balance this lineup up a little more. Escobar has been awful. Escobar is a good enough clubhouse guy that he's not going to raise a stink if he's not playing every day. Escobar had fair warning, considering that uh, the Correa move where he was going to play third, and he had prepared for a life not starting every day. Escobar moving to the bench, if he needs to, is totally fine. I think Beatty is freaking awesome and will really, really hit. I'm a big fan. I think this could be a huge move for the Mets, who, like, they have a lot of good hitters, but they only really have, like, one slugger, Mm -hmm. and that's Pete. Like, Lindor is pretty close to that at this point, but like Nimmo, Marte, McNeil, they're all like these weird, high contact, good swing decision guys. Whereas I think Beatty could just like in a given season, a full year, once he's not a rookie, like hit 35 bombs, right? Mm-hmm. Which I know is the hope for Alvarez too. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm a little worried. Alvarez is one that that now that he's kind of pressed into duty and I know Bucks so you keep rolling with Nito. I, I don't know. I, I think Beatty succeeding will probably, you know, take the spotlight off of Alvarez, although he is going to have to play to some degree. So that is an interesting one. The much more interesting call-up, because we knew Beatty was going to be up at some point in April, if not, you know, a little bit later, was Zach Neto. Zach Neto. This is a good one uh, to kind of end the show on. This is one of the one of the more – it has to be one of the faster paths to the big leagues for a hitter – that I can remember. Uh, this guy who was drafted 13th overall last year out of Campbell played, I think, 40 games in double A and is now going to be the starting shortstop for the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, 0 for 8 in his first two games. Um, but again, they were getting so little out of David Fletcher. And as we know, this is this season is really the last hurrah for potentially everybody involved in Anaheim. And so if they think that they have a better option than really anyone on the field anywhere else, then they're going to go get that option. They're going to do it. And they believe that Zach Neto is that. And we will see if they were right. But this is a this this tells me a lot about not just what they think of Neto, but just kind of how they're going to treat this season, and which makes things already very compelling for what was already, of course, a team we were watching very closely. Two hundred and one minor league plate appearances is wild for a guy to go to the big leagues. This is the opposite of service time manipulation. Okay, this might be panicking in the other direction. Now Neto could adjust, sure. But he is a 22-year-old with a leg kick the size of Jupiter who maybe needed a little bit more time to cook in the minor leagues. But I, it has taken a very unique set of circumstances to get him up here this quickly. Some of that is credit to him because he did rake and he did look really good in spring, right? And he can really hit and he can really play. The other side of that is what you mentioned with the Angels where they need someone competent to play shortstop because David Fletcher – might as well have been using a pool noodle at the plate. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing that Neto is an amazing story. You know, he's he's from Miami, but he ended up at Campbell and just destroyed at Campbell. Like his his sophomore and junior years were, and I remember last year, you know, following the draft really closely, everyone was like, this dude is so legit. And the fact that he lasted until 13 was extremely fortunate to the Angels to begin with. And they made the right call picking him up. At the same time, like, I know he was awesome on the Cape before, 
but this is such a small sample. Like to ask Zach Neto to now just face the best pitchers in the world when they need him the most for a guy that was in the big South, you know, no disrespect. And then in double a for 40 games is, is nuts. And so like, if this doesn't work, it doesn't, it's not going to necessarily define the angel season one way or another, but you, these are the risk of pushing these guys like this. I love Zach Neto. He's one of my favorite prospects. I was all in on him in the draft, but like, I, I I trust this guy to to have figured it out at a normal pace, and if he struggles so far, like I'm, maybe he'll be awesome. Clearly, they believe he's ready, and I hope he is because they really are going to need him. But uh, it's it's a hell of a jump. For it would be a hell of a jump for anybody, but for for someone with his kind of track record, it's it's a fascinating move, and and I do think says a lot about how the Angels season is going to go. And uh, so far, I mean, here they are, you know, as they're they are on mop watch this morning against against Boston. They they played some of these games close. Again with the Angels, some of these things have gone really well. Logan O'Hoppy looks amazing. Some of these depth pieces like Renfro and Urshela have been really good. Patrick but Sandoval has carved. Patrick Sandoval has been has been great, right? But it's just, it's never, they are always less than the sum of their parts. And even though the parts are better than they have in recent years, they also find ways to lose. Remember how they lost to the aforementioned Oakland A's on opening day to kind of set the tone. I do think the Angels are much improved. I think they're going to hang around. I think they're going to be solid, but they are just going to need to show so much more consistency to believe in them. And now Neto will maybe be a part of that. We'll see. All right, Jordan. I think that's it. I think we did a podcast. Um, John Carl stands hurt again. That sucks. A annual uh, <laughs> a tradition like any other, a hamstring strain <laughs> for John Carlos Stanton. Like here's the deal, man with him. Where like he's clearly working out a ton in the off season, <laughs> yeah. And I think that like think so. maybe I missed the story here from like Brian Hoke. Maybe one year do Pilates, do yoga, <laughs> touch your toes five yeah. times over the winter, okay? Because yeah. it's the same thing with him. He's so ripped and built and tightly wound that from a muscular standpoint, there's got to be a reason that he keeps having these. Types of injuries, also right? Also, always running the bases. We're so worried about putting him out in the outfield, and that never seems to be the issue. It's always running the bases. So it's just bizarre. And now, you know, they call up Peraza. We'll see how their kind of defensive alignment shakes out now and what the lineup looks like. But obviously, the Yankees are are still very good. Volpe's starting to figure things out. So I would not be too worried about them. Just sucks because like I just love watching John Carlos swing the bat and we just keep missing out on so many. Yeah. Every time he gets hurt, I go back and look at his career and think like this dude should be heading for 600 home runs. And instead, he's no. you know maybe going to get to 500, maybe. Right. So anyway, that sucks. All right. Let's end the podcast. Thank you all for listening. This was super fun. Appreciate the emails. Thank you to read for the email. You can email us baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. B-A-R-B-Cast. We'll be back on Wednesday and Friday. Of course, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts.